Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, uh, today, Mother's Day, is a, a complicated day for preachers. Uh, knowing what to say and how to say it and um, touch people's hearts and also preach the gospel and also make sure that we're all kind of on the same page. Well, anyway, it's complicated. <laughs> I, I, you know, my mom was complicated. <laughs> Joanna Rogers Hudson, uh, she was complicated. Uh, and, and, you know, uh, love and adore her, but I also have to say, you know, we were on opposite sides of the political spectrum. Can you imagine? <laughs> One day, she just delighted and laughed and laughed and laughed because she had introduced me to Peach Snapple. And I loved it. I loved it. I loved it. And she said, you know, that's Rush Limbaugh's favorite drink, too. <laughs> and she just laughed and laughed and laughed. And you know, because she was having such a good time, I decided I needed to laugh, too. I couldn't get upset about that. I mean, it, you know, so Mother's Day is complicated. <laughs> it's just complicated. You know, and then, uh, and then, you know, so I have my mother and my grandmothers and, and never expected to be a mom. Never was in my radar. And then all of a sudden, one day I'm a mom and um, have a beautiful daughter. She calls me Joey. And if that wasn't good enough, then we decided to be foster parents to these two little boys right at the beginning of COVID. Oh, my word. And, you know, there were no boys in our house except animals. You know, all our animals are male, but no boys. So what were we thinking? Mother's Day is complicated. It's just a complicated thing for a lot of people. I bet all of you have stories like this, don't you? That you could tell on yourselves, on your moms, on your grandmothers, or the people who have been like, um, like mothers to you. And I think about those boys, you know, their mom, she just couldn't be their mom. She had stuff going on and just couldn't. And uh, they had a previous foster mom they call mom, and, and then we were moms to them. Uh, they still call Stephanie mom. And now they have a single dad who is both dad and mom for them. And it's amazing. It's an amazing thing to see and to watch. And, and so in all our complicated lives and all our complicated ways of being in relationship, we have stories to tell about lives lived and love given, complicated. I know you have your own stories, and, and when we think about moms, we also think about all the moms, and the moms who, for whatever reason, couldn't be the moms they, their children needed them to be, uh, the women for whom, for whatever reason, could not be moms, the moms who chose not to have children, but who have cared for countless people in their lives, <clears throat> and those of us who have sent 
and let go of our moms as they have entered the church triumphant. And then it's further complicated because today there looms large, a great shadow over the nation as we were embroiled in a debate about the role of government in women's lives and the bearing of children and women who seek to have decision-making over their own bodies and their lives. It's complicated. So how do we navigate this? How do we live in this tension in this world of complicated relationships, complicated lives, a complicated country? And, and what I want to say to you is there are words for us. We've been given words of wisdom for our faith, for our journey, for ways to be in the world. And, and if we attend to those words, we will find our way. We will find our way. Maybe you've not heard the history of Mother's Day. Uh, Heather Cox Richardson writes a blog called Letters from an American, and, and she wrote yesterday evening about Mother's Day. She said, if you Google the history of Mother's Day, the internet will tell you that Mother's Day began in 1908 when Anna Jarvis decided to honor her mother and then she went on to petition the president to make it an official holiday, or an officially recognized day. I don't guess it's a holiday, but. Um, but Mother's Day, with the apostrophe not in the singular, follow me on this, the apostrophe not in the singular, but in the plural, Mother's Day, started in 1870 when the enormity of the death caused by the Civil War and Franco-Prussian War convinced American women that women must take control of the political climate that had permitted this kind of violence. Mother's Day was not designed to encourage people to be nice to their mothers, although that's a nice thing. <laughs> uh, it was part of a women's effort to gain a position in which they could change modern society. You know the name Julia Ward Howe, don't you? She wrote the battle hymn of the Republic in the early years of the Civil War. A hymn, by the way, which includes a wonderful uh, lyric that says, Jesus Christ was born of a woman. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> All of that. Uh, Howe was drawn to women's rights because the laws of her time meant that her children could not belong to her if she left her abusive husband, that she would have no ability to even see them, much less parent them. She believed strongly that women as mothers had a special role to perform in the world. So she wrote an appeal to womanhood throughout the world, and she had it translated into French and Spanish and Italian and German and Swedish and distributed it widely throughout the world, calling on women to call for peace and justice in the world. She believed that her women's peace movement would be the next great development in human history. 
ending war just as anti, the anti-slavery movement had ended slavery. She called for a festival which would be observed as Mother's Day and which should be devoted to the advocacy of peace doctrines to be held every year around June the 2nd. Well, sadly, the women's peace movement and the peace celebration on June the 2nd has um, given way to a more commercialized celebration. And it's complicated by the reality that we are an Easter people living in a Good Friday world. We are people called to new life and to resurrection, but we live in a Good Friday world where it feels like uh, disappointment and sorrow and death and destruction win the day. Still, I believe in our faith story there are words for us today. We're in the Easter season, the great 50 days of Easter, today being the 22nd day of Easter and the fourth Sunday in Easter. And we, will, we heard all about the resurrection appearances of Jesus, and in these last four Sundays we will hear all about the stories about who Jesus is, as we did today. Now, maybe you didn't know that the festival of dedication was the festival of Hanukkah. Today, that's what the, the Jewish tradition calls it, the festival of Hanukkah. And <clears throat> it's a festival of lights, because lights are lit. And uh, gifts are given. I always found out when my friend Cheryl Tobin, uh, when we were in elementary school, I found out that she got a gift for lots of days. <laughs> not just one day. She got gifts for lots of days. And I thought, well, that's just not fair. It's just not fair. It was the day in which they celebrated the cleansing of the temple because atrocities had been committed there um, and, and they were able to regain control of the temple and they cleansed it. And so that is the festival that they celebrate. And so that's the, the story in which Jesus is walking in the porch of Solomon, the portico of Solomon. And in that dramatic space, People surround him and ask, okay, the jig is up. Are you really the Messiah? And of course, Jesus says, well, I've already told you, but you do not believe me. Well, Jesus hadn't actually already told all the people. He told his followers, but he had told them in an unusual way. He had healed. He had forgiven. He had given new life. And this is how he told them, by signs by signs of God at work in him and in the world. And so he wasn't going to tell them because, well, that's not really what he was interested in. He wasn't interested in giving definitions. He wasn't interested in telling people about faith. He was interested in them experiencing it having an experience of God. And, and so if people who surround him don't recognize him as a Messiah, it's not that they lack right perspective or the right doctrines or the right ideas, the right signs, the right arguments. Jesus says, okay, look, it's not that kind of thing. 
they don't recognize my voice. They don't sense my love and care. And so no argument will convince them. No sign will persuade them. Do you hear that? Do you hear that? No argument will convince them. No sign will persuade them. We live in that kind of world, don't we? Where we believe different things and no argument, no sign is going to convince me and I'm not going to be able to convince them, right? Y'all have said that. I know you've said that. Jesus instead says, my sheep, they know my voice. And so they trust and they follow. Jesus' point is that when it comes to his messiahship, there's plenty of evidence. There's plenty of evidence on the table with teaching and healing and signs. And that's just it. There's plenty there. I mean, claims have their counterclaims and signs have their skeptics. And after all, on an even deeper level, faith really isn't a matter of evidence in the first place. Faith is about a vital and experiential sense of love and trust. Imagine a child and its loving mother. The child senses her, the love of the mother, hears her voice, and trusts her. The child's knowledge of a parent's love doesn't rest on some verbal definition. It rests on the experience of that love, the sense of that love. Love is something you experience from the inside out, not the outside in. And Jesus says, faith is like that. And he uses the metaphor of the sheep. Which is really kind of lost on us, don't you think? I mean, we don't spend our lives with a bunch of sheep. But Jesus is drawing from the great prophet Ezekiel. And so Jesus uses this metaphor of the sheep. And so Jesus understands and lets them know that um, the, the sheep hear and recognize his voice. The, the invitation Jesus has is for us to taste, to come and taste and see. In other words, you can talk all you want to about it, but that won't get you where you need to go. Now, that's a good word for all preachers and theological professors and all of that. You can talk all you want to about it, but that's not going to get you where you want to go. So faith is participatory, and it's relational, and doesn't exclude so much as prioritize experience over arguments. It prioritizes experience over arguments. And in Jesus' Good Shepherd teaching... He goes out of his way to warn against exclusionary assumptions because you heard that part, didn't you, that some of them don't hear my voice. And so everybody thinks, oh, well, that's them. That's not me. But that's not Jesus' point. And that is not what Jesus said because other, further along in the gospel, he will say, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. So we dare not put limits, religious or otherwise, on God's love and care. We just dare not do it. Now, here's, here's really how it works. Y'all are going to love this. So um, when asked to define the rhythm known as swing, Louis Armstrong famously rep replied, if you have to ask, 
you'll never know. <laughs> and his point wasn't to exclude anyone from understanding the swing. Rather, his point was that verbally, defining it isn't the path to understanding it. You just have to hear it. You have to swing to hear it. You have to dance to hear it. You have to get a feel for it, right? You know, of course, the story of Mary, the mother of Jesus. She got the swing. She has this encounter with the angel Gabriel, which I have to say would have scared Jesus out of me. <laughs> um, she will give birth to God's child, even though she is not married. And the angel says to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Remember that? Do not... Uh, First words, do not be afraid, Mary. I don't know why, because I would have been scared to death. But what follows is a conversation in which the angel shares shocking news with Mary, to which she eventually responds, here I am, the servant of God. Let it be with me according to your word. And God's word is what she sings when she encounters Elizabeth, her cousin, who wasn't supposed to be pregnant either. And she says, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Can you hear the swing? Who has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts, has brought 